Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers uh, beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And today, I want to start off by congratulating us. Um, Chris and I, I, I know this is big news, and you're all going to be very excited to hear this. Uh, we finished second on our fantasy baseball Whoop. league. Yeah. So Chris, Chris does a lot of the day-to-day operations. I'm more of just like the behind-the-scenes guy that likes to watch. Uh, I did draft the team this year, though, so I did give us a foundation. Yeah, and I'll give myself uh, I give myself credit for that. So we finished second. We didn't finish first. So it's, it's a very hard league to win. So I was pretty proud of what Chris was able to do this year and uh, the uh, the team we were able to put together. That's right, man. That was a big thing. It's funny because the commissioner of the league texted me to let me know that we had finished second, and I responded to him with "woohoo!" He was like, "I love your enthusiasm." And I said, look, man, I know we didn't win first place, but second place is nothing to sneeze at when the team that we inherited from Joe Varden, by the way, Joe Varden of The Athletic, about four or five years ago, was basically the Browns of the Sashi Brown era. They had nothing. All they had was like draft picks and cap space. So we built this thing into something that, you know, next year we've got a chance too, bud. Oh, we're ready. We're we're coming in hot. We're coming yeah. in hot next season. Hot. <laughs> After you know, this is it's the league. It's a keeper league, so like you get an opportunity to keep some of the players. Next year, we have a good foundation laid. We're gonna be set. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're coming for the number one spot. So not only is it a keeper league, folks. It is a keeper league with a salary cap in yeah. place. Yes. And after um a player's contract expires, um following three years then you can choose to extend the player or send him back into the pool of candidates to be bid on during the auction, which is very, very intense in its own right. Right. Well, it's 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 a very intense kind of situation. It's American League only, as you said. Yeah. It's like it's it's you gotta you gotta know your stuff and you gotta, you know, it's it's not easy. So I think drafted minor leaguers, like if this was yeah. the equivalent of the NBA, Hayden, if this was the equivalent of the NBA. Victor Wembanyama would have been on a team three or four years ago already. <laughs> right, right. You make Victor Wembanyama, yeah, would probably be very high uh, on the list of, of players, yeah, that are uh, that were drafted in that you know minor league draft. So you're 100 yep. percent right. I would I, I would not be in if with our team I would not be in the market much like the Cavaliers I would not be in the market for Victor Wembanyama for our team. <laughs> That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm good with where we're at. We got a nice veteran-laden kind of good young team, kind of like the Cavaliers. I'm trying to like you know trying to do like a segue between like our team, and the Cavaliers team. It's good. I don't uh, you know good. it's it's fine. It's, it's okay. We're Cavaliers maybe not the top of the top of the East yet, but they're getting there and they're showing that they belong, which is what we did this season in fantasy baseball. So yeah, that's that's the segue. And the Cavaliers started this season strong, very strong. Uh, Cavaliers are now five and one heading into Wednesday night's game against the Boston Celtics. By the way, we can there's a whole bunch of stuff we can get into uh, yeah. later in the podcast with the Boston Celtics and then in the Brooklyn Nets and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. But but Boston coming into Cleveland tomorrow and Chris, the the, the thing that we that we have to talk about. I mean, yes, five and one and the the team has been amazing and I think that that JB Bickerstaff and Mantra has been absolutely perfect and that the the strength of the team is the team and that's completely correct. It is the team. Um. It's uh, it's everything. It's the depth. It's the scoring. It's the defense. It's everything. And the the player that's led it all has been Donovan Mitchell. And you know, you wrote a story the other day 
saying this is not the Donovan Mitchell the Cavs traded for. You know, the, Don, the Cavalier, the, the Donovan Mitchell the Cavs traded for was very, very good, a, a superstar player. But this guy has been transcendent. I mean, the yeah. guy that the Cavaliers have, have gotten shooting the ball really well from outside, which is something we talked about him doing a lot more of. Um, he's been a great playmaker with Darius Garland out. He's been getting to the rim. He's, you know, he's he's been everything. He's had effort on the defensive end. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that there's been a better start to a Cavaliers career or a Cavaliers season um, than the one displayed by Donovan Mitchell thus far. Yo, man, forget Cavaliers season. How about NBA history? Yeah. So right. in the first six games for any player with any team in their career, Donovan Mitchell's points per game average is second best in the history of the NBA. It's only been bested by one person. That person is Wilt Chamberlain. It was 1959 <laughs> when Wilt Chamberlain averaged like 38 points per game with the Warriors. Those were his first six games in the entire NBA. So for Donovan Mitchell to come to Cleveland here in a situation that was really good already, right? They were a 44-win team. They advanced to the play-in tournament. They felt really good about their future, but felt like Donovan was the kind of talent that could take them to new heights. So for him to come in and fit in so great, Hayden, that he's not just scoring the way that he's scoring, but he's getting his teammates involved. He's giving them a sense of belief and a sense of confidence that they can, that they can compete for a championship this year. Like all of these different things that Donovan has brought to this team, they feel them on a nightly basis. We see them on a nightly basis. And his start in the first six games, think about this. Last year, the Cavs were without Darius Garland for 18 games, Hayden. 18 yep. games without Darius. You know their record in those 18? Oh, boy. Four, four and 14. Wow. Right? So in 18 tries, they were only able to win four games. Without Darius this year, they've already got five wins, more than they had all of last year. And Donovan's a big part of that. Because he's able to run the offense. He's able to make his teammates better. He's able to put pressure on the defense constantly. So that's all you need to know about the kind of impact that Donovan has had. The Cavs could not function as a team without Darius Garland last year. They couldn't function. They couldn't run an offense. They were completely different. And they've been without Darius for the first five games, well, basically the first six games, because he got hurt in the first half against the Toronto Raptors, and you don't even feel that loss, right? No. Right <laughs> now you don't, no. That's unbelievable to think about. Yeah. And, and we, we, you know, after the last game, Donovan was talking about, you know, the fact that, that when Darius comes back, he's going to have to, you know, that load is going to be different because Darius is the captain of the ship and he's going to be able to be the point guard. But, you know, part of me is also thinking that, you know, maybe Donovan, maybe they'll stagger them more. Maybe Donovan will take more of a point guard role at some points. Maybe Donovan, you know, can kind of command this thing, you know, better than we kind of thought. So maybe this is a situation where Darius, you know, is the leader of the group and plays a lot. But maybe Donovan can kind of take a role um, as a playmaker, as a ball handler. Well, here's the thing. I mean, coming into the year, J.B. Bickerstaff had a specific plan, right? He said, I'm going to have one of. Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell on the court at all times. Yeah, that was his plan. Um, they were going to start together, but then he was going to stagger them throughout. 
And then he was going to allow Darius and Donovan to finish together. And they were going to have plenty of opportunities to play alongside each other because it just puts the opposing defense in a bind and it makes things easier on everybody offensively for the Cavs. But he knew last year that the team couldn't function without Darius. And Ricky Rubio is not going to be healthy until January at the earliest, probably. Um, and Neto is not the kind of guy that can do the Rubio thing from the beginning of last season. So because of what happened um, in the second half of last season for the Cavs, when they were without Rubio, they were without Colin Sexton and Karis LeVert wasn't 100%. JB said, hey, now I have Donovan Mitchell. Now I have Darius Garland. No matter what the situation is, one of those guys is going to be on the court at all times. Right. And then that plan goes out the window in the first game of the season against Toronto. And he's got to, you know, scramble and he's got to change some things and he's got to shuffle his rotation in his starting lineup. But it has allowed the Cavs to see Donovan in this role, a very similar role to when he was in Utah. In fact, I think part of the reason why he has been so comfortable is because Hayden, he really hasn't had to sacrifice much. He hasn't had to change his game much. Coming into this year, so much of the conversation was like, okay, how's it going to work with Darius and Donovan together? And then if you throw Karras in that starting lineup, that's a third ball-dominant guard. Darius is going to have to change his game a little bit. Donovan's going to have to change his game a little bit. And there are going to be growing pains. But he hasn't had—Donovan hasn't had to do that because he's had to be Utah Donovan Mitchell, in a sense— where the offense is in his hands, where he's running high pick and roll, where he's getting everybody involved, and he's got this high usage rate, and he's got this high touch rate and stuff like that. So I think when Darius comes back, probably tomorrow night against Boston, there are going to be some growing pains, and Donovan is going to be in a slightly different role. But because he was able to be Utah Donovan Mitchell, point guard Donovan Mitchell, that allowed the Cavs to see just how good that can be. And it reinforced this idea to the Cavs and J.B. Bickerstaff that Donovan can be the backup point guard here. Oh, 100%. And that's exactly what I was, you know, that I was trying to get at, that he could, you know, once Ricky Rubio, when he comes back, he'll be a playmaker too. But, I mean, Donovan can be the backup point guard for this team. And he's been, you know, phenomenal. I mean, you look at the numbers right now, they're staggering. 11 for 22, or excuse me, 49.6% from the field, 45.5% uh, from three-point land. That's by far a high uh, for his career. And I know we're only six games in, but um, he's averaging, you know, around 4.5 rebounds, eight, 7.3 assists. I mean, 32.2 points. He's been unbelievable. And, you know, yes, he's playing more. You know, he's playing 39 minutes a game. And I think when Darius comes back, that'll maybe lessen up a bit. But it will. It will. No maybe yeah. about it. It yeah. will. And the Cavs know that they they can't use Donovan the same kind of way that they have um, right. throughout the entire season. The, the Cavs can't play Donovan that many minutes throughout the course of the entire season. Like this usage, this workload has been born out of necessity. Yeah, 100 percent. With Donovan, though, I mean, it's just it's been so incredible to watch. You know, the game yep. against Boston, the 41 point night, the game the other night where he kind of blew up in the second half or had a great first quarter, then came back in the fourth quarter and got the yep. job done. I mean, he's just been everything and more than this team's needed. As you wrote, he's been better than what's been advertised. And I think that just is a tremendous, tremendous um, 
thing for this Cavaliers team. Just have that start to the season to get this thing rolling in the right direction. And it only looks like, yes, there might be some growing pains. Sure. I mean, when Darius gets back, maybe there will be some things where things, you know, kinks going to get worked out. But it's just it's a great foundation to have for the start of the season. It's a great foundation to have for Donovan start here in Cleveland. I mean, he was already beloved when they traded for him. I think everybody right. kind of got on the bandwagon. But now people are and myself included. I mean, you know, a lot of people are finally seeing for the first time the real, you know, the the everyday Donovan Mitchell. And he's just been incredible. He's been absolutely yeah. incredible. I, I think there are a couple of things. I think, number one, th- this roster that is around Donovan Mitchell um, is arguably the best one that he's ever had. Yeah. And now it's hard to say that, right? Because the Jazz were a 60-win team and they were really talented and really deep, but he didn't have another playmaker like Darius Garland, right? That's an all-star caliber point guard who still has more of a ceiling to reach. Um, that's a little bit different than Mike Conley at the end of his career. You know what I mean? And Rudy Gobert, he's fantastic. The best defensive player in the entire NBA. He's an offense all to himself. He's a defensive scheme all to himself. But like Jared Allen can do similar things as Rudy Gobert. And on top of that, there's Evan Mobley and... You go down the list and it's like, okay, this is probably the best roster that that Donovan has ever had. So it, it gives him some freedom. Um, and the other thing is this, Hayden, like the thing that stands out to a, a, a lot of these players and coaches of, about Donovan here versus in Utah, his defense, number one, like he yeah. has been engaged from the very beginning on the defensive end of the floor. And it's something that Donovan even talked about coming to this team. I need to prove myself as a defender. I know what my reputation says. I know how bad I was picked on in that Dallas playoff series. I've got to be better there. And he made a point to be better, more engaged on the defensive end of the floor. And he looks it. The other thing that stands out to these guys is his passing. Kevin Love talked about it. Dean Wade talked about it. J.B. Bickerstaff talked about it. I mean, this is a guy who is averaging a career high in assists, and that's probably going to change as the season goes on. But Donovan Mitchell being, you know, top 10 in the NBA in scoring and assists, that's not something that a lot of people in this organization expected. And he has made, with his passing, he has made this this Cavs offense more dynamic and more difficult to game plan for. Because now it's like if you force him to be a passer, he's a willing enough passer and he's got enough guys around him that can beat a defense that way. And then if you try and load up on those guys to take away the three-point shot or take away the passing lanes, then Donovan's going to go to work and he's going to score buckets. So that element of his offensive game, um, that has really, really changed things for him and for the Cavs, and it's been very, very surprising um, to everybody that I have talked to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's I mean, I, every night I'm, I'm seeing something that I didn't, you know, know see or know about Donovan. And it, we, the thing we did talk about was the three point percentage, and you you hit the nail on the head is that he has been a much more willing three point shooter. He's yeah. had better looks. He's had he's been great absolutely great from beyond the arc and i think with Don, when darius garland comes back that's going to even further because again darius is going to provide more even more space where a guy like carrot like karis levert not as good from the outside uh, i think that gives although know, he's been very very good early on in this oh, season yeah. so you got to no give doubt. him a lot of credit for that no doubt no doubt i mean the 41 point that was amazing 
And, you know, the other night he, he was struggled. He struggled immensely. You know, one of those games right. that happens. But um, I just I think we could do this whole po- podcast just gushing about Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he's <laughs> and not only that, it's it's the person that he is. You know, right. he, he it's just he seems like and from, you know, from being around him very briefly from, you know, a couple games here and a couple of media day and whatever and Brown's game and whatnot. He just he seems like a very genuine guy. And, you know, Kevin said that he he fits right in. He's one of the guys. Yeah. And. And Donovan said the team's very close, and it just seems that way. It seems like he fits perfectly, seamlessly, not only into the lineup and into the Cavs, what they want to do, but into the the culture that they have, into the group that they have, into what they want to be as a basketball team. I think there's an intangible thing that he brings to Hayden. Yeah. And, and we touched on this a little bit at the beginning of this podcast, and I am not comparing them, okay, in every single aspect. I'm not comparing them in every single aspect. And I'm not talking about stylistic comparisons within their games. I'm talking about a level of belief that is created from having him. It yeah. is very similar to LeBron James. It is very similar. Because yeah. if you remember, when LeBron came back in 2014 and the Cavs formed their big three, they believed no matter how much they were struggling in the regular season that they were going to get it together in the playoffs. Remember that? Like, just get us there and we'll have a chance because we have that dude. Even if we're down 10 or 15 going into the fourth quarter, we still believe because we have that dude, because of what that dude is capable of. And I talked to a lot of players about this in the locker room um, following the win against the Knicks. When, when Donovan basically willed them to a victory and he accounted for 23 of their first 28 fourth quarter points, combining his points and assists, like there is a level of belief that this group now has. And, and this is not to say that they didn't believe in the things that they were doing before. And it's not to say that that they believed that 44 wins last year was a fluke or something like that. But it has gone to a different level. They never feel like they're out of a game with somebody like Donovan Mitchell. They feel like the aspirations that they have are honest, true, and realistic because of a guy like Donovan Mitchell. And I don't know how you quantify that. But it just lifts a weight off of everybody else. And it allows everybody else to play with this freedom and this belief and you see that translate onto the court. And and that's what a superstar player can bring to an organization. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And they haven't had that since LeBron, obviously. They haven't had that that sense of belief. And you're right. Even like, I don't know, you know, and you watch it during a game, you know, being at, I was at the home opener, I was at the game on Sunday night. Uh, and you just have that belief that, okay, you know, the Cavs were down big in the, in the second half, but I never thought for a second that they were out of it, you know? Maybe yeah. past Cavs teams, you're like, oh, they're okay. They're they're they don't have enough to come back. But with Donovan on the floor, with with you know, with what he brings, it just it never seems like they're out of it ever. And and we've talked about this in the past, Hayden. Um, there are different levels to good in in all sports. And this isn't a knock on Darius Garland or Evan Mobley or Jared Allen, but like Donovan Mitchell has accomplished things in his career that those guys haven't accomplished yet. Donovan Mitchell has led teams to the playoffs five straight years. That's not as talented as Darius Garland is, as bright as his future is. Same thing with Evan Mobley. 
Those are things that those guys have not accomplished. When you bring a guy to your organization that has accomplished those things and the players have seen him accomplish those things, it's just a different level. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And you already see him. You already see Donovan Mitchell making other guys better. I mean, you do. Oh, my God. Yeah. You see. Look, look at what Dean Wade's done. Look at what Kevin look Love. Look at Karis LeVert the other night. Right. He's made the other guys better. He's he's you know, providing other guys opportunities. And it's, and I can't, I can't wait to see what he can do for Darius. I can't wait to see what they can do for each other because Darius was an all-star last year. You know, it's kind of crazy that we're just, you know, that he's not even playing and we're feeling this way. Like imagine when Darius Garland gets on the court, how different that's going to feel. That's going to feel incredible. Right. And we have been talking for months about just how Donovan and Darius are going to make each other better. And yes, there are going to be some stylistic complications. And yes, there are going to be growing pains. But the threat of both of them on the court together just changes the way a defense can approach uh, the Cavs. Right. right? Th- there were times the other night against New York that um, the Knicks sent multiple players at Donovan. And it was a situation where they were trying to hedge and recover. And they didn't recover in time, and Kevin Love got open threes. Or Dean Wade got open threes. Um, when, when Darius and Donovan are out there together, like you can't send two guys at Donovan. Just like you can't send two guys at Darius. And if you're going to, you're talking about the Cavs having a four-on-three advantage where, you know, the other four guys are all capable of beating you with pass, dribble, and shoot. Um, so, so that's the thing. Like when you have two guys that are both used to being the, the main target of the opposing defensive scheme, um, that unburdens them in a way that all of a sudden Darius is going to get open shots. Um, Donovan's going to get open shots. Dean Wade's going to get open shots. Kevin Love's going to get open shots. Um, and to further this point, you know, I, I haven't looked at the updated numbers, but, Last week, when I was doing my piece on Jetty Osman, um, at the time, Hayden, he had taken 14 three-pointers this season. 14. Um, 13 of those were classified as open or wide open. Again, that's the Donovan Mitchell effect. Now think about the effect on a defense when it's Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, who both command so much attention from the opposing defense. There are going to be shooters and spacers all over the place. It's going to be pick your poison, and then it's going to be up to the Cavs um, to make them pay and knock down those shots. And in the first six games, they have been able to knock down those shots. And furthermore, Chris, I mean, we've seen kind of the lulls in the lineup where, you know, Donovan has to take a rest and and maybe Neto has to come in and play a little bit, and he hasn't been great. You know, those are going to go away because, as you said, the plan is to keep either one Darius Garland or one Donovan Mitchell on the floor at the same time or at at all times. And uh, I I, there's going to be no lull. It's going to be it's kind of and not to make a football analogy, but it's going to kind of be like the Browns. You know, when Kareem when Nick Chubb goes off the field, time for Kareem Hunt. You know, there's there's no let up. It's an exciting thing to think about. It's something that the Cavs have been thinking about since Donovan was acquired in early September. It's something that they were really excited about going into the opener against Toronto. And it's something that they've been robbed of um, because Darius has been sidelined with this eye injury. 
Yeah, what do you, what's going on? I mean, obviously, it seems like um, it seems like Darius could be back on Wednesday night against the Boston Celtics. Uh, is it just a matter of be playing it pretty safe? You know, I think Donovan's wanted to play, or not Donovan, Darius has wanted to play, but you just don't want to risk something happening with that eye. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's also the fact that there's still a lot of swelling in the eye. It, it yeah. was very, very swollen and ugly looking from the very beginning. And even though the swelling has gone down, there still is some swelling there. Um, and and I also think that the Cavs do take a cautious approach with their players. Um, they've been able to take more of a cautious approach with somebody like Darius because of the way that, that Donovan and the team has functioned without him. Um, and it's it just turned November, right? This is a team that wants to be at its best in March and April, not October, November, December. So that's another reason why I think They've been really, really cognizant um, of of not putting Darius out there in a precarious spot. Um, in saying that, he was able to participate fully in practice this afternoon at Cleveland Clinic Courts. And then after practice, he was able to do a side shooting session with a group of coaches where he took some contact. He simulated pick and rolls. He drove to the basket. And that, to me, is the best sign of of his return being imminent. Um, there are some things that he did on the court recently. Um, there are some individual workouts and, and shooting sessions that he had. Um, but what I saw today, um, both at the tail end of practice and in the post-practice session, was probably like the most contact-type work that he's had. And I think that was probably the final step for him beyond the fact that it was about the eye and it was about the swelling in terms of on-court stuff mm -hmm. like that to me felt like it was going to be the final step. There's one more layer here, too. Um, I have been told by multiple people that Darius has been trying a variety of protective goggles and yeah. he hates them, <laughs> absolutely hates them has been taking them off early on in workouts or in the middle of workouts and throwing them off to the side. So don't be surprised that if Darius comes back Wednesday night against the Celtics, there are no goggles, no protection that he's going to be wearing over that eye because they were bothersome to him. He didn't like how it was affecting his shooting. He didn't like how it was affecting his peripheral vision. He didn't like how they felt on his face. And he has gone away from those completely in his most recent workouts. Well, it makes yeah. I mean, some guys like it, some guys don't. I mean, I think if it was something where if he if he if he had to play, if it was playoffs, I'm sure he would. You know, it's early in the year, and again, look at what Donovan Mitchell's been doing. So uh, I think it's probably best for him to just if he's not comfortable with him, then don't wear him. You know. I think the other thing is this: his eye is fine, right? There was no structural damage. Right. He didn't need surgery there. It was just a cut on the inside of his eyelid close to the bridge of the nose. So um, it's not like he has to protect his eye, his actual eye, from right. further injury. You know what right. I mean? It's just a it's, cut on the right. eyelid that led to a whole bunch of ugly-looking swelling. Yeah, and it's not and it's not like a orbital thing either where you got a broken bone there or anything like that. Yeah. So. Well, Darius, hopefully we'll be good to go tomorrow night, 7.30, Cavs play Celtics, and then they'll be on the road, and you're on a little roadie from 
Uh, they go to Detroit, and then they face the Los Angeles Lakers, who have been a mess with LeBron James on Sunday. They'll yep. then take on the Clippers the next night on Monday night. Then they'll be in Sacramento taking on the Kings. Then they'll be on in Golden State taking on the Warriors in Oakland or in um, San Francisco. And then they're finally back home. So, Chris, we talked about this little stretch of games right here um, being kind of something that I think will potentially help the team, but could also define them a little bit. I mean, give them, you know, show us what they're made of. It's not an easy stretch to start the year, um, but they're five and one already, and they've already been through some adversity. So, I mean, is this something where they're just going to flex their muscle and say, yeah, you know, we're here to, we're here to show the NBA that we've, uh, we, we're not going to back down from anybody or any challenge. I would think that in this upcoming road trip, they will be favored in maybe all but one game. Golden State. Probably Golden State. Yes. And that's because it's on the road at the end of a long road trip. But, I mean, the Cavs, has they have elevated themselves near the top of the Eastern Conference. They have elevated themselves early on near the top of the league. Um, They are number two in the NBA in net rating. They are number two in the NBA in point differential. The only team that they're behind in both categories is the Phoenix Suns. They're number four in the NBA in offensive rating. They're number three in defensive rating. So top five in offense, top five in defense. Like, it's fine to talk about the Cavs as a legitimate championship contender right now. Because that's how they're playing. And we can only go by what they have shown us at this point in time. Um, Again, things could change throughout the course of the season. The ebbs and flows. Injuries cold stretch, whatever the case may be. But right now, the way that they're playing, they're one of the best teams in the league, and they've got a signature win on the road against Boston. They've got a big win on the road against Chicago. Uh, They played the Toronto Raptors really, really tough in the season opener. Um, And then after the Boston game, there wasn't an emotional letdown, and they were able to find a way against a better-than-expected New York team. So I fully expect the Cavs to go on the road, to come together more as a team and find a way to have a successful road trip, because that's what they have shown me to this point in time. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Again, I think, you know, the Lakers just looks it's not that they look scary. It's just that, like, it's the Lakers. I don't know. One of those things where you just can't walk into uh, whatever Crypto.com arena. Yeah. And, you know, walk away with the win easily. Um, but they should, you know, they're, they're in sh- Lakers are a mess right now. The Cavs but, are better than the Lakers. Yes, Cavs are better than the Lakers. Cavs are better than the Clippers. Cavs are obviously right now, better yeah. than the, the Kings. Um, yeah, I, I don't foresee this being, but like I said, if it goes poorly, then we can start to talk about, okay, well, what happened there? Um, but right. I, I don't foresee that happening. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about today is yeah. that Darius is coming back soon. Yeah. Um, since he's been out, JB has used two different guys in the starting lineup. Isaac yep. Okoro, which was a disaster. Yes. And, oh, my goodness. He's been so bad at the beginning of the season. Although, give him a lot of credit because at the end of the Knicks game, he defended his ass yeah. off. Yes, he did. Yep. And he was a big part of them winning that game. Um, yep. Offensively, he's been a complete non-factor. Looks like he has no confidence whatsoever. Yeah, uh, looks like his teammates have no interest in passing him the ball because they know what the result is going to be. So it's just been a really tough start to the season for Isaac. Yeah. So he tried Isaac and that didn't work 
at all. And then Dean Wade went into the starting lineup, and that's been great. Shooting, spacing, enough defense, versatility, rebounding. Dean's the kind of guy who just does a lot of things well. Yep. Um, and they just become a better team with him out there. Yep. In saying that, when Darius comes back, Karis LeVert is going into the starting lineup at the small forward spot again, just like he was opening night against Toronto. Now, during Darius's absence, Karis has been in the starting lineup, but it's been at the shooting guard spot. Yep. So he's going to go back to that small forward spot, the spot that he earned throughout training camp in the preseason, the spot that he occupied going into the regular season opener against Toronto. And my understanding is that from the very beginning, J.B. Bickerstaff wanted to see what that was going to look like. With Darius, Donovan, Karis, Evan, and Jarrett together, there are people in the organization that call that the Cavs' death lineup. And they want to see it together. And it is going to take a bad stretch of those guys not looking good together, not looking comfortable together, for JB to think about changing it. He needs to see it not work. If it's not going to work, he needs to see it not work before he changes what he wanted to do coming into the season um, with those five guys together. Despite the fact that Dean Wade has been really good in the starting lineup, he has looked like a seamless fit in that starting lineup, and he's coming off a career game the other night against the Knicks. He is not going to stay in the starting lineup. It is going it to be Karras. It makes sense. I mean, you gotta you gotta see what you have. You know, they really like that combo. You gotta see what it looks like. You've only had it for like one game. You gotta see, yeah. you know, what 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 can go from there. But yeah, I think it's a good I think it's a good idea to just kind of at least try it out for you know, the, the foreseeable future until, you know, you, you, it really looks like it's not going to work. But as you've said, Karras was, you know, outside of last game against uh, the Knicks, he was, he, I mean, 41 points. I don't think we've touched on that enough. I mean, the fact that he and Donovan Mitchell went out and each scored 41 in the same yeah. game. The, the only two other players that have done that in Cavs history are LeBron and Kyrie Irving in game five of the 2016 NBA Finals. I mean, right. What they did in that game, I mean, they willed them, that team to victory in Boston in a hostile environment. Boston's always got a hostile environment against right. a very good Celtics team. I mean, that was incredible. That was the Karras that the Cavs thought they were getting when they traded right. for him. Right, exactly. Because if you remember, before they traded for him, he was on that miraculous stretch with the Pacers where he was looking awesome. Yep. He was kind of like in this de facto point guard role. And he was shooting lights out and he was getting everybody involved and he was going for these explosive scoring nights. And then he comes to the Cavs and then he's getting adjusted to a new system, a new coach, a new style, a new role, new teammates. And then he comes back from the all-star break and he steps on a teammate's foot. And like they never got the Karis LeVert that they traded for. No, Um, that was more like the Karis LeVert that they traded for. That was the guy that they were really, really excited about. That was the guy that Darius Garland called the missing piece last year when they acquired him from Indiana. And Karis has been very good at the beginning of the season, you know, excluding Sunday where he couldn't hit a shot whatsoever. Um, Karis has been very, very good. He's been very impactful at both ends of the floor. He went into Sunday's game against the Knicks with the best plus minus in the entire NBA. Um, So that just goes to show the kind of impact that Karras can have when he's healthy, when he's engaged, 
and when he's in a role that that he feels comfortable in. Right. Yeah. It, I think I can't I can't wait to see him, you know, in that third in that, in that three spot, because I think, you know, that's going to be an adjustment, obviously. Yes, but yes, well, it's going to be again. And I think as much as it's been fun to see this Cavs team roll the way that it has, I think there's even another level they can go to. So I'm excited yeah, to see yeah. that level. I, I'm excited to see that level. You know, it's been fun to watch them win five in a row. And and it's been, you know, it's been awesome to see them do that. But I think that, you know, even if there are growing pains for a couple of these games, I still think it's going to be better in the long run with Darius Garland in, with Karis LeVert at the three, with these guys being staggered, you know, going into the second units and whatnot. I, I think that that, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to uh, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and I mean, I think the other thing too, Hayden, is that okay. So, Karis stays in the starting lineup. That doesn't mean that all five of those guys are going to play together all the time. You know what no, I mean? This isn't no, this isn't hockey. Not. It's right. not a bunch of line changes line, right, throughout no, the course no, no, of the game. Right, so right. Karis might check out at the seven minute mark of the first quarter, or Donovan, or Darius. One of those guys might check out at the seven-minute mark of the first quarter and then get replaced by Dean Wade or Kevin Love or whoever right, it may be. Depending upon the matchup, right. That yeah. So, um, and the other thing is, just because Karras happens to start a game, that doesn't mean that he'll be the one that finishes the game. Look at the closing lineup against the Knicks. Jared Allen wasn't out there. Yep. I mean, right. Isaac Okoro was out there. So, JB has shown the ability... To adapt throughout the course of a season, he's also shown the ability to adapt throughout the course of a game, and I think he has enough um, trust from the players that if he is going to go away from one of his starters to close a game, or if he is going to go away from one of his starters for a long stretch of the game, that they believe that that's in the best interest of the team, and they back that decision 100%. Um, and, and I think... The only way, if you're somebody like J.B. Bickerstaff, the only way you can find out if if a lineup is going to work or not work is in a game situation. Right. It's not in preseason. It's not in training camp. It's right. not in practices behind the scene. You got to see it against a real live NBA competition against another team. Yeah. Um, you can't like make predetermined notions that all oh, of this isn't going to work, so we're not going to try it. You yeah. owe it to yourself to at least try it, to at least experiment, and see if it's going to work or not work. There are a lot of people at the beginning of last season, Hayden, that thought JB was nuts to start Lowry Markinen at the small forward spot, especially yeah. next to Evan Mobley and Jaron Allen. And that became a very, very effective lineup for the Cavs. And oh, by the way, the Utah Jazz are using Lowry Markinen as a small forward this year, and he's in the middle of a career year. So, again, you can't just predetermine, well, Karras and Donovan and Darius are not going to work together, and Dean Wade is a better fit for the small forward spot, and, and stylistically, he makes more sense next to Darius and Donovan. What if the Cavs stumble on something with Levert the same way at the three, the same way that they did with Markinen at the three? Then you're talking about, like, maybe one of the best starting groups in the entire NBA. Yeah, I mean, I, it's... I... It's going to be fun. That's all I can say. I, I, it, we're just at the beginning of this thing. It's already yeah, fun. Yeah, let's see it. And right. It, it's going to be fun. You know, I, I, I've been, you know, the two games that I've been at thus far in at Rocket Mortgage, I mean, they've been electric. I mean, that yeah. crowd is, I have not, that crowd has not been that way since LeBron at least, at least since 2018. And it's, you know, it, the magic seems to be back and 
the fans seem to be very into it, and that place is loud and is raucous. And you know, when things are going well for Cleveland, man, there is nothing like that building. It just it it explodes, it explodes, yeah. and that's exactly what I felt over the last couple uh, of games. And then tomorrow night, we'll see. You know, that's the fun thing. It's like every night, maybe you know, what are we going to see tonight? What are you going to see tomorrow night? We'll see. We'll see what we see tomorrow night. You know, Gary yeah. Scarlin back. I'm sure he'll get a massive, uh, you know. Um, a massive applause and a massive ovation, and uh, and that even brings more to it. And the other thing is the excitement is warranted. Yeah. This isn't a mirage, right? Like, no. to me, this is not early season mirage. Team is all of a sudden going to fall off the face of the earth. I think they do have the ability to be top 10 in offense and defense throughout the course of the entire season. Right. Um, I also think if you look at rankings around the NBA, ESPN had – what, four of the top 50 or so players in the entire league on the Cavs? Like, yep. that, it's not just going to collapse, you know what I mean? Right, but that's why I think that, that's why I think that the, the excitement is there. That's why I think the place is back, is because I think fans understand that this isn't just, oh, this isn't the last year's Cavs where they were just, they were great, better than expected, and we'll see what happens right. this year. No, this is this is a bona fide team that's, that's going to do stuff. I mean, I think if you look at, the the way that the Eastern Conference is set up, um, to me, early on, it seems like Milwaukee is on a tier of its own. They don't even have Chris Middleton, and they're undefeated. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, my goodness. They can play offense. They can play Cavs, defense. Cavs will play the Bucks when they get back to town, by the way. Yeah. Or no, no, they're... No, they shortly come back after to, that. Yeah, they come back to town yeah. for a game, and then... They shortly go, after yeah. that. But they can play offense. They can play defense. They can play big, small. They can play fast, slow. And they've got the best player in the NBA on their side in Giannis. So they're 6-0 and without arguably their second or third most important player, depending on how you look at Drew Holiday versus Chris Middleton. So I think based on what they've already accomplished um, in the past, what they've accomplished this year, and what they have in their organization, like the Bucks belong on a different tier. But... Based on what we've seen from the Cavs and how good of a fit Donovan Mitchell has been and the kind of impact that he's already had on this organization, the kind of impact that he can continue to have on this organization, there's no reason to say that the Boston Celtics or the Toronto Raptors or the Atlanta Hawks or 76ers or Brooklyn Nets, if they don't completely implode, are like a class above the Cavs. You know what I mean? Like maybe four months ago, we would have said, well, the Cavs are close to the Raptors and the Hawks and the Knicks and the Wizards and the Bulls. No, 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 no. Like, they're close to the Celtics, right? They're close to the Brooklyn Nets. They're close to the 76ers. Um, and and if, if you're talking about the Eastern Conference, like, you're talking about those other teams in the same conversation with the Cavs as contenders. So you've got to be willing to say that the Cavs are contenders as well. They certainly are. They certainly are. And, you know, talking about the Eastern Conference, I know we've talked about a lot about the Cavs. But there is some other stuff I want to get to. And uh, during this podcast, actually, the NBA PA has put out a statement saying anti-Semitism has no place in our society. The NBA PA is focused on creating an environment where everyone is accepted. We are committed to help helping players fully understand that certain words can lead to hateful ideologies being spread. We will continue to work on identifying, combating all hate speech wherever it arises. Um, so they didn't mention Kyrie Irving by name, but Kyrie Irving was the subject of a back and forth and, and posted on Twitter a um, a video that 
Okay, I don't want to get this wrong because I know it's uh, it's very you know uh, sensitive and very um, important to get it right. So, from my understanding, Chris Kyrie Irving put out a video that was about a book that had that had anti-Semitic um, ideologies in it. That either a book or a movie. Okay, one of the two. Okay, yeah, I think it was a. I th- so he and, he and and he was asked about it by Nick Friedel, a, a reporter for ESPN, and they went back and forth. And um, I just, I, you know, Kyrie is a, a former Cavalier, made the biggest shot in Cavaliers history. I think I don't think we can do, I don't think we can do anything, or I don't think we can do this podcast without addressing it because I've seen you address it. I've certainly addressed it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something that needs to be addressed. To be completely honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I just think, like, at some point, Kyrie needs to understand that he's in the NBA and he's an employee of the Brooklyn Nets. And everything that he says, whether he wants to express his freedom of speech or not, um, is going to represent himself, the NBA, and the Brooklyn Nets. And just because you have freedom of speech doesn't mean that you have freedom of consequence for saying some of those things. And what he said was very, very hurtful, um, very offensive, um, and it's it's not something that I think has a place in society and in the NBA. Um, and I think something needs to be done to to show Kyrie that. Right. Okay. And just to, I just want to back up for a second because I made sure I got this right. So it was a it was a documentary. Right, um, there's a 2018 movie called Hebrews to Negroes Wake Up a Black America based on Ronald Dalton's book. So it was it was a documentary based on the right. book of the same name. And, you know, it's uh, stuffed with anti-Semitic tropes, according to Rolling Stone. And I think that it's just it, it I could not agree more with you that it's just it's it just these you know these athletes they they and i i think they should have a platform you know guys like lebron was told to shut up and dribble that's not at it at all he has a platform he has a right he has a space but that doesn't mean exactly exactly what you said there is freedom to speak of speech you're not going to get arrested for what you say but there's certainly backlash the nba is a private thing it's not a publicly owned thing it's something where you know he can very well he can much very well be you know um he can face backlash from his team. He can face backlash from the NBA. But the fact that the NBA PA is coming out without any names and just saying something like that, and the Nets have they have condemned it. But I just I think that it's it, there needs to be more than that. I, I I don't think it's enough to just say well Kyrie's saying bad things. I mean, right? Th- there has to be consequence here. Yeah, I mean he's promoting anti-Semitism. That's but that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. So uh, again, I mean, I know this is completely different, but this is the only way that I can tie it together. Like there are things that I've wanted to say to people on Twitter that have come after me for one thing or another, right? Right. But I understand that I have a platform that is visible. I understand that some of the things that I say are going to carry weight. And I understand that I am employed by cleveland.com. And that does... And even though, like, there is freedom of speech and there's freedom of expression, it doesn't mean that I can just say whatever I want to at any given moment. And I think it's the same thing for for somebody like Kyrie. Um, 
and I think he just needs to be more aware and more careful of the things that he posts because of the platform that he has. And, and I think that's I think that's very fair. But I also again I guess I'm calling out the NBA and the NBAPA. I, I think that you know if you don't do anything more than what's being done, if you continue to let him. It's the fact, you know, I don't know if, does a suspension change anything? I don't know. Does a, you know, but it just seems like when you do nothing, then you're just letting it happen. You're just letting this happen. You're coming out with these statements saying, well, he can't say that, but then, then what? Then, then, okay, then, then do something about it. Yeah. That's my point of, of view on the thing. I mean, do something. He's this is this is continue. This is not changing. This is not going anywhere. He posted that video and then he and Nick uh, Nick had a back and forth. And, you right. know, Nick stood up for himself and Kyrie said, don't dehumanize me. Well, what do you think he's doing to, you know, a, a large faction of other people who are, are Jewish? I mean, that's exactly what he's doing. Right. And look, I mean, the, the league has fined and suspended players for the use of slurs before. Sure. Right. Anthony Edwards. Um, I'm pretty sure Rajon Rondo. Um, in the past, and um, I, I think the NBA is within its right to to step in and levy some kind of punishment. Um, one of the problems, though, when you have situations like this, Hayden, and you know this, um, it's hard to figure out what is the right punishment, right? Yeah. Like, yes. what's satisfying yeah. enough when right. you have um, somebody doing this saying these kinds of things, spreading this on his social media. Yeah. Like what's the right move? Is it $40,000? Is it $100,000? Is it one game? Is it five games? Is it three games? Is it completely releasing him? Um so that's always been to me like one of the big um challenges with situations that are relatively unprecedented. Yeah. Um, there is no baseline for what somebody is going to be levied based on X action, Y action, Z action. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm just honestly, maybe this one just hit home for me for whatever reason. I mean, I, I you know, I just think that it's such a this country's in, I don't, you know, without getting political, I mean, this country it just seems like there's even more, you know, there's more of a spotlight on hate. There's more, which is good, which means, you know, yeah. that means there are more people seeing it. But this specific one, it's like it came, it came from essentially nowhere. It came from to uh, a, a human being that you know is obviously struggling with all kinds of things and and you know saying whatever he wants and 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 in Kanye West and and like. Where did it come from? It came from nowhere, and now you're be, you're spreading it just because of because of what? Yeah. The, yeah. The, actually, actually, when you look at when you look at Jewish culture, basketball is a predominant part of Jewish. Like it's it just there's something about the game, and I you know I, I'm not Jewish and I don't know enough about it, but I do know that I have a lot. I grew up in a lot of in a Jewish community, and basketball is a mm. huge part of their community. You know, David Blatt it was a was a big jewish icon in in coming from you know where he came from and being in the nba it's a basketball is a big part of the jewish community i think there's all there's a, a whole hell of a lot of people right now that are feeling very isolated they're very right. fe feeling very hurt and very upset on the actions of seemingly you know two people that have incited this for for what 
I just hope Kyrie understands that that what he has done has the capacity to hurt millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Well, that's what I think is missing. I don't think. And, and, and Kyrie's the kind of guy who is like, you know, I'm going to say what I believe. And sometimes my opinion is not going to be popular, but I'm going to stay true to myself. I'm not going to back down. I have this platform. I'm willing to discuss certain subjects that other players aren't willing to discuss. And, and that's kind of how he is. And that's kind of how he's been. But I, I just hope that he tries a mirror test here at some yeah. point in time and, and right. understands that, yes, his words have consequences. Yes, the things that he posts on Instagram and Twitter, those things have consequences, too. And there needs to be some empathy on his side um, for the people that were harmed by this yeah. or potentially harmed. Yeah. By this. And, I, and I hope and I hope he does. I just I I, I don't know if that's going to change if if, yeah. if there's you know, I know there's been a lot of backlash and, and that's good, but I don't know if there's going to be enough if there's been enough for him to really look in the mirror. You know, maybe if maybe if Nike drops him or whatever, the way Adidas dropped Kanye West, maybe that'll be mm. like uh, something. But. At the at the time being, I don't think there's enough. But um, in other news of the Brooklyn Nets, not to move on too quickly, um, but the Brooklyn Nets seem to have been, you know, with this adding on to it, um, a dumpster fire. Steve Nash gets fired, and then Ime Udoka going from Boston after his own yeah. scandal in Boston to the New York to the Brooklyn Nets. So I mean, <laughs> it's been a very eventful day in the NBA uh, front in regards to just this this Steve Nash move. This um Doka move i mean what do you make of what this means for the nets what do you what this makes of means for the boston celtics what this means for the uh the eastern conference which the cavaliers are obviously a big part of oh, i can't even process this <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah no i yes i get it <laughs> from multiple it was, angles it was a very nets thing to do um Ime Yodoka is the kind of guy if we're talking about from a basketball standpoint a pure basketball standpoint. This is somebody who took the Boston Celtics to the NBA Finals last year. This is somebody who is known as one of the best um, defensive minds and tacticians in the NBA. This is somebody who is known as a guy capable of getting through to players. Um, his communication, the culture, like all those kinds of things, like that's what he has been known for in the basketball realm. There are some off-the-court things that the Nets yeah. – obviously didn't do enough due diligence on um, even though they're going to say that they did their due diligence but like look if there's any karma in this world that team will completely implode this year yeah yeah, I've, yeah I would hope so I would hope but, so honestly I would hope but so. like on the other side of that he is a great coach and I think he's the kind of coach that can get through to somebody like Kyrie, KD, Ben Simmons, the explosive, um, weird personalities that they have in that locker room in a way that uh, Steve Nash couldn't. It was clear that the players, including Kyrie and KD, just didn't have that level of respect for somebody like Steve Nash, and it wasn't going to work for Steve Nash. So if um, if they stay together, if if the team stays together, with all those players on the same team, I, I think Ime Udoka is the kind of personality and he's the kind of coach that can allow the Nets um, 
to actually be a factor in the Eastern Conference in a way that I don't know that they would have been with Steve Nash as the coach because there was just a level of of respect that was missing there. Well, the Nets played tonight. They're two and five. So yeah, uh, things are not great. Miami also two and five, by the way. So not mm-hmm. a, not a great start for those teams, but um, plenty of basketball left to play. And uh, we'll see how things work out in Brooklyn. I'm assuming we are not near the end of the saga going on there. Um, and I'm sure Steve Nash is breathing a hefty sigh of relief. He'll probably be on the call for USA, uh, Netherlands, or whatever the the, the World Cup uh, qualifier or the world. There's the World Cup in November, right? Uh, I think that's what it is. Yeah. I also hope for Steve's sake that he gets another opportunity because he was set up um, for failure from the very beginning in Brooklyn. Like a yeah. week after he was hired by the Nets, um, Kyrie made comments about uh, KD could coach this team. I could coach this team. Yeah. We don't yeah. really see him as, or we don't really see the need for a coach. Da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean... Like when you have one of your star players talking about you that kind of way and undermining you that kind of way from the very beginning, you were set up for failure. So I hope Steve Nash gets another opportunity um, to coach in the NBA if that's ultimately what he wants to do, because this was a no win situation in Brooklyn. Yeah, no. Well, you know what we should do, Chris? We should enjoy what's going on in Cleveland. They're fun. They're exciting. They're a good, fun team to work for or work work to watch to work with i mean it's just it's um it's it's been a lot of fun to to watch them and enjoy what they put together on the court they seem like a group that's fun to work together like they work together they they seem to you know there's not a lot of drama there's not a lot of you know off the court curriculars it's just seems to be fun in basketball and that's you know the the crux of what you know i think we enjoy is the 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 joy and the and the fun part of you know, basketball, it's a, be- it's a beautiful game. And uh, and I think the Cavaliers are exemplifying that pretty well right now. Yeah, that's the thing about them that is really, really likable. Um, it's a fun style. You feel like it's a sustainable style. Um, it's team first. Uh, obviously, there's a hierarchy, right? Donovan Mitchell is going to be heavily involved in what the Cavs do and the success that they have. Yeah. And the same thing with Darius Garland and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Um, But Dean Wade is very important to their success, right? Kevin Love coming off the bench is very important to their success. Karis LeVert, same thing. So um, it's a team that plays hard. They really, really like each other. And that comes across on the court. Yep, 100%. So it's just like it's an easy team to get behind. It's an easy team to like. A hundred percent. And that's what that was. That was exactly what I was saying. You know, well, I'm good with that. I'm good with watching a team that loves to play the game, that loves to play with each other, that enjoys each other genuinely, genuinely. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be a ton of ego there, Um, even with a guy like Donovan Mitchell, which is which is when you think about it, pretty remarkable. I mean, you know, superstar player. And he just doesn't seem to have that much ego. It just doesn't seem to be a thing for him. I mean, he does have an ego. All these guys have egos, you know what I mean? But it's not one that's going to stand in the way of him having success and the team having success. That's the thing. Like everybody wants what's best for the team here. And I honestly, I don't know that we gave Kevin Love enough credit for this Um, last year. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. Um, But this is a guy who is going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, this this is a guy who is (laughs) a five time all star. 
an Olympic gold medalist, like of of the things that you can accomplish throughout your career in the NBA. He's done them all. He has done almost all of them. Yep. And for him to be willing to come off the bench and make that kind of sacrifice and see his touches cut and see his minutes cut at the beginning of last season, that allowed JB to coach this team in a different kind of way. That allowed JB um, to to use guys in the same kind of way when you're talking about role delineation. So Kevin gets a lot of credit for, for making that sacrifice, being willing um, to come off the bench the way that he was um, towards the tail end of his career. And I, I think that has helped trickle down throughout the organization. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that it's been beautiful for Kevin to do what he's done. And um, and I think that it just set the tone for leadership, for accountability, for what the team is about. It's not about ego. It's about winning. It's about going out and playing winning basketball. And I think that's he set the tone last year. And I think that that's what guys have followed. They said, man, this guy's a Hall of Famer and he's coming off the bench and he's been great and he's working hard and he's being a leader. You know, I think it's a big I think it's something he had to look in the mirror and say, you know, man, I, you know, what can I, what, what is the best course of option, best course of action for me to sit here and complain or sit here and, you know, not be happy, but no, it's that I'm going to go help this team win. And that's exactly what he did. So I don't, I think we did, I think we gave him a lot of credit last year and I hope we gave him enough credit, but I think it all starts with him. I do. I think it all starts with the, the attitude that he's taken and then to add that to the talent of Darius Garland, the talent of Evan Mobley, yeah. the talent of Jared Allen, to add the talent of Donovan Mitchell, you add that attitude with that talent, and you got a really, really good thing going in Cleveland. Right. Like if Kevin Love, who has accomplished all that he has accomplished throughout the course of his career, is going to willingly come off the bench and he's going to accept that role, yeah. how could somebody else say, no, I'm not going to accept my role? Yeah, 100%. That's it. That's it. And that sets the tone in the locker room. And that's leadership and that's accountability. That's everything. Right. And it doesn't mean that he was perfect during his time here for the Cavs. And it doesn't mean that he didn't have those childish blow-ups. But I think in this situation, um, he has been very, very helpful to the culture that the Cavs have created here. Yeah, and that's maturation. That's, you know, that's that's time. That's, you know, it's learning. So I get that 100%. 100%. All right, Chris, we've talked for a while today. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Be sure, you know, and I'd say this every time, and I'll probably continue to say this every time. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Enter your phone number. You'll get 14 days free of all kinds of news, analysis, insight, notes from Chris. Send straight to your phone before Twitter or anywhere else. Again, Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month after that. It's well worth your investment. Go check it out. Cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page and read all of Chris's coverage on cleveland.com slash Cavs. Chris, thank you again for joining me. Um, I, I will be awaiting that Venmo from you for our championship <laughs> win. And uh, and we'll be in touch soon. And uh, I will see you tomorrow night at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Sounds great, buddy. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.